You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Press Zone Philly right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Radio, a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. We are so glad that you are joined here with us today. Uh, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, the lead correspondent at the AHL Report. And I'm joined each and every week by my tremendous co-host, not only our editor-in-chief here at Rocket Sports Media for all of our publications, but also our founder, and he is the one and only Rick Stevens. Welcome. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah? We're... Happy June! We're into June. We're into the second round of the playoffs. We're... We have the draft lottery this week. Uh, Things are happening. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Like draft lottery. That's like, wow. Um, things are exciting in Philly, not, maybe not on the Flyers front, but the, the Sixers are, are doing okay. Of course, everyone's kind of panicking a little bit, you know, because they, they didn't sweep in the series. They've had a little, little setback. Uh, Joel Embiid, a little, little bit of a little bit of an injury. We'll see how that goes, but, uh, the Sixers are looking okay, creating some good hype in the city. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a pretty fun time of year with with playoffs happening for hockey and, and NBA and well, the Phillies are doing seemingly what they do every year and trying trying their best to frustrate fans. But um, you know, one way to really make uh, the sports watching a, a little bit uh, even more interesting uh, is with DraftKings Sportsbook, and and not only is you know DraftKings Sportsbook. Not only my favorite sports book, but also America's top-rated sports book. Um, I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's it's easy to navigate. It's got plenty of instructions if you're a new better, uh, and pretty much limitless ways to get in on all the action. Uh, my friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and hey. I know you will too. So listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn one dollar into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that's still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Now, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 
in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you'll claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And remember, when you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app or DraftKings, King's Daily Fantasy, just use that promo code THPN uh, for our affiliation with the Hockey Podcast Network, and it brings you all these sorts of great perks, like bet a dollar, win a hundred. Hi. That's a lot of fun. No brainer. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got a great show for you today. Um, Yeah, I know it's a little, you know, Flyers news right now is kind of, it's it's a bit like a desert, but don't worry, we do have some, some things to update you on. And um, the AHL season finally finished uh, this week. The Pacific Division, of course, was the only division who chose to have a a small little divisional postseason. And that has officially wrapped up. So we can uh, say now for sure in finality that the AHL season is over. But that means the offseason is just beginning. It's going to be a busy time for us here at Rocket Sports, and it's a busy time for the AHL and its teams to get their bums in gear and get ready for next season. Uh, and so to to help us navigate all of that and to bring you some really great up-to-the-minute information, we've got a terrific interview coming up uh, in the second segment today with our dear friend Patrick Williams, the AHL correspondent from NHL.com and EP Ringside. And he's going to join Rick and I in studio today to talk about the season that was for the AHL, talk about some of the franchise shakeups and the new franchises that are coming into the league uh, this next season, talk a little bit about coaching vacancies, <clears throat> Lehigh Valley Phantoms, um, talk a little bit about uh, the Winnipeg Jets and uh, where they're at right now and, and their farm system and so forth, talk a little bit about uh, fans being back in the buildings. So we Like soup to nuts, we're going to cover it all with Patrick today. It's an interview you're not going to want to miss. Great show. Absolutely. Uh, but first, let's take care of some business. Uh, in, in our first segment, we are just going to give you some updates on the Philadelphia Flyers and the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And actually, the first thing I want to do is is talk about uh, something that the Flyers Alumni Organization announced recently. Um very, very fun. They are going to be doing a showcase um, where it's going to be Flyers alumni versus the Flyers Warriors. And you'll remember uh, we've introduced you to the Warriors when we had Brad Marsh on the show uh, about a month ago. Um, and uh, that's a, a group of, of um disabled veterans who uh, he is actually coaching uh, and they play under the Flyers moniker. They compete all over the place um, and they're just a tremendous group of, of, of guys. So the Flyers alumni is going to take on the Flyers Warriors guys in a showcase on June 27th at the Iceworks Complex in Aston, Pennsylvania. Now tickets are just 20 bucks for general admission, um, $100 for a VIP ticket, which gets you a private viewing area and a post-game reception. Uh, head over to wellsfargocenter.com. Uh, there you can find ticket information or even just hit up Flyers Alumni on Twitter, uh, at Flyers Alumni. Um, they haven't announced who the full roster of the alumni who are taking 
uh, part in the showcase against the Warriors is going to be yet. Ex- but they do. There was a name that they just announced this week, Rick, and none other than U.S. and Flyers Hall of Famer John LeClaire is going to be playing nice. uh, on the on the Flyers alumni side of the ice in this showcase. Um, I'd pay 20 bucks to go watch John LeClaire, John LeClaire play. Um, so. That's very exciting. That's something for Flyers fans to get pumped up about. If you're in that area, I highly recommend uh, buying a ticket. Um, and I, I, I bet there's going to be some some other fun uh, roster announcements on the alumni side coming up soon. And supporting a great organization. Absolutely. The Flyers alumni with their Every Child Deserves a Bike initiative that they're still doing, where every month, you know, they're raising funds so that every month uh, a custom-made bicycle can be presented to a child with special needs. Um, it's a tremendous initiative that's going on. Um, there's there's all sorts of initiatives uh, that, that Flyers charities and Flyers alumni are part of. And uh, why not have some fun and support a great cause at the same time um so that is pretty tremendous um the other thing that is going on there is a flyers player who is actually still playing hockey right now if you can believe that who's that ivan provorov Mm -hmm. uh still playing uh for team russia or well as they're known as team roc uh right now for the iihf men's world championships going on in uh in uh in Riga right now. Um, and Provorov is still in contention. Russia, uh, actually Russia down Belarus six to nothing today. Uh, and I believe they take on Canada in a couple of days who, you know, this tournament has been a, a series of upsets, um, in terms of how these things typically go because the rosters are, are, are looking, um, very different than they typically do. And and Canada's had some upsets of their own. They've had some struggles along the way. So Russia-Canada could be a very interesting game for Ivan Provorov to be playing in. Uh, Rick, he's, he's played in seven games. He's got two assists. Um, and things are, I, they're starting to get to the point where they're starting to eliminate countries. And so the the end of the tournament and the ramp up towards towards the medal rounds is is coming. It's, it's getting to be pretty good. It's the quarterfinal stage. Um, so it, that uh, the Russians beat, meet Canada, uh, the Finns meet the Czechs uh, for entry into the semis. On the other side, you have U.S. Uh, meets uh, Slovakia and uh, Swiss meets Germany. Uh, yeah, Germany just uh, ousted Latvia today in a really tight 2-1 to one victory. So, um, you know, it, there's still hockey going on elsewhere in the world, and some of your favorite players are still playing the game. It's a great way to even just watch uh, some of the up-and-coming prospects or watch some of the guys uh, who aren't uh, in the NHL playoffs who who opted to go over. Um, you know, they're they're doing a great job, and, and uh, it's fun to watch. So so tune in for that and cheer on Provi. Uh Wrapping the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, on the phantom side of things, um, just want to uh, tip of the hat to Captain Cal O'Reilly. Uh, he was honored this past week from the American Hockey League as the 2020-2021 winner of the Fred T. Hunt Memorial Award. And that goes to the AHL player who best exemplifies the qualities of sportsmanship, determination, and dedication to hockey. The nice thing is, is this award is voted on by coaches, players, and members of the media in each of the, the league's active member cities. So, 
for Cal O'Reilly to win this award, um, you know, this isn't one that just the media decides on. Coaches and players decide this as well. I think that's a big honor and and very appropriate for Cal O'Reilly to win this award. Um, what I liked, Rick, in the press release, um, Cal O'Reilly has captained four different AHL clubs over the last seven years. He has played... Let me see here. Let me find it because uh, he does have it. It's in here somewhere. I know he's played over 800 AHL games and that's uh, 751 regular season games. And he's also skated in 88 playoff games in those time in that time. He has amassed only 154 penalty minutes with zero majors Zero misconducts. It's remarkable. It really is. Um, that That's a very disciplined, measured hockey player to play in over, let, even just talking just regular season games, over 750 regular season hockey games with only 154 penalty minutes and no majors, no misconducts. Um, I think that's a testament to how seriously Cal O'Reilly takes his job and takes his position as a leader. Um, and I, I, I think I think it's tremendous that he won this award. And in the uh, press release, you also have previous winners, Brett Sutter being one, um, Tom Kostopoulos, and I'm pretty sure the two of them can't make the same com- claim that you just made for Cal O'Reilly about uh, misconducts and majors. <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's in a league on his own on that one. Um, the other the other news that did come out last week was each division's all-star team for the season was announced. Uh, and in the North Division for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, we have some familiar names like Cam Schilling and Connor McMichael for the Hershey Bears. Uh Oscar Laxinen for the Rochester Americans, um, Boris Kachu and Taylor Radish, both playing for the Syracuse Crunch. But there is a player from the Lehigh Valley Phantoms who made the North Division All-Star team, and that would be Zane McIntyre, goaltender for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And Rick, I think Zane McIntyre had a had a pretty solid season this year. Uh, you know, he's got some great experience, um, you know, coming into this year, uh, probably maybe didn't expect to be kind of the starter, uh, but with COVID and and needing a taxi squad for the AHL for the NHL, that meant Alex Lyon was up on the taxi squad, and so things really fell to Zane McIntyre. Particularly, Felix Sandstrom had some injury issues and so forth, so wasn't in the lineup all of the time. Uh, and I think Zane McIntyre did a did a pretty pretty good job this year. He had a great season. 11-3-3 and was his record, 233 goals against, 917 save percentage. And uh, But it was it was not only how well he played, but his leadership. And, mm-hmm. and Scott Gordon talked about uh, that um, and, and, and the way he kind of uh, solidified the team because the, the Phantoms had uh, a lot of young players uh, on their roster this year. So uh, McIntyre was one of the leaders that was... Uh, um, leaned on heavily throughout this season. And interestingly enough, in as we mentioned uh, a, a week or two ago when, when we reviewed Scott Gordon's um, end-of-the-season press conference after that final game, he pinpointed two guys on his team who, outside of how they performed on the ice, were were his kind of MVPs off the ice in terms of leadership and, and work ethic and things of that nature. And those two guys were 
Cal O'Reilly and Zane McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the two of them to also be awarded in different ways by the AHL uh, shows you pretty well that, that Scott Gordon was pretty in tune with, with uh, his players and uh, congratulations to those guys uh, on, on those achievements. We are going to take a quick break on the other side in interview. You won't want to miss. We're going to catch up with our friend Patrick Williams, and we're going to find out all of the ins and outs and how things ended for the AHL this season and what is in store this summer for the American League as we gear up to get back to hockey in October. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. The Press Zone is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. Be sure to follow us on social media. Find us on Twitter at The AHL Report. Check out our original game photography on Instagram at AHL Report. And watch our exclusive video interviews with players, coaches, and other notable hockey names on our YouTube channel, at AllHabs. Just remember to turn on notifications so that you never miss a video. The AHL Report, your premier source for Laval Rocket, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and all American Hockey League news. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit AHLReport.com and click the Join Our Team tab at the top of the page today. And welcome back to the Press Zone right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. Once again, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my tremendous co-host, Rick Stevens. Uh, And let me give you a reminder of where to find us on Twitter, because you really want to be following along with us on Twitter. Uh, You can find me at Flyers Rule on Twitter. You can find Rick at All Habs. Uh, And you can find the AHL Report at... The AHL Report, uh, and also this podcast at the Press Zone. So uh, lots of places, uh, but if you want one central place to go, go to at the AHL Report. That's the first and foremost one that you want to be sure you're following. Um, And so we've got a tremendous interview in store for you in, uh, in this segment. And without further ado, I think we should get right to it. Well, it's a new month, and here at the Press Zone, there's no better way to uh, kick off the summer season and the off-season for the AHL than by bringing back one of our favorite guests, our friend and colleague Patrick Williams, uh, AHL correspondent for the NHL.com and also for EP Rinkside. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us today, and, and how are you, sir? Good. Nice to be back. Thank you. It's... uh. 
we can officially say that we are in the offseason for the AHL, the Pacific Division, uh, the only ones uh, participating in a post, choosing to participate in a postseason this year just wrapped up. It looks like uh, the Bakersfield Condors come out on top. Um, can you just give us a, a just a little overview of, of how that postseason, very short little postseason divisional playoff uh, went for the Pacific Division? Yeah, it was interesting because – like at times you almost forgot this was kind of a quasi postseason and it was only for a division title. And I think part of that too was um, these were not two teams that were, you know, kind of hanging around 500. I mean, Henderson was a top team all season in Bakersfield. They started 0-5, but after that, I mean, they played over 700 hockey the whole, the whole way down the stretch. And um, they benefited, for example, by not having – very much player movement at all because of the border issues and, and, and everything that went with that. So they were in a strange way, Bakersfield was probably more intact this season than they would be in a normal season. And that was stark contrast to everybody else whose rosters completely turned over, you know, in some cases two or three times over the course of the three and a half month season. I mean, you, you saw Laval, for example, they started off with, what 35 players and by the end i mean it was you know it was next man up mentality so um yeah it was it was a good it was a pretty good playoff all things considered i mean bakersfield and san diego was a fun series uh lucas dostos i mean absolutely fantastic in that for san diego he almost pulled that series out for them and then um the three games against uh henderson uh for bakersfield were really impressive i mean I knew Bakersfield was good. I, I don't think I knew that they were that good, that they went in there and just really, you know, certainly in the first game handled Henderson really well. Uh, the second game got a little bit uh, messy for them, but even the third game, I thought Henderson played better, but uh, Bakersfield was in control <clears throat> large portions of that game. And so it was a good mix of um, real top, top end veterans, Adam Cracknell, uh, Brad Malone, for example, you had Ryan Stanton, um, and then a, a nice mix of prospects, Cooper Marodi, Tyler Benson, Stuart Skinner, and Nett, uh, some nice young defensemen. Uh, so Bakersfield, real, really impressive job. But, uh, you know, I just sort of felt that, you know, I, I you got your three games in, but it, you kind of found yourself wanting a little bit more because it was that uh, competitive of a series. And um, you just – you sort of felt like it's the playoffs, but you, in the back of your head, you also knew it wasn't. Well, that's as a follow up to that, I was going to ask you, you know, from from speaking, whether it was with coaches or players out there, what was the general consensus about being the only division doing a postseason? Did did were they, you know, from the you know, you see the pictures, you hear the quotes. They obviously uh, had fun when they were winning in the postseason, but mm-hmm. was it was it meaningful hockey for them? Was there controversy about whether whether they should be playing in the postseason? What what was the general feel? Well, yeah, certainly there was all the you know the hubbub um, going into it. Um, it seems, at least in my eyes, and, and certainly speaking with players, um, that once they kind of got into the swing of things, um, that at least seemed for the most part to go by the wayside. And uh, they kind of got, I don't want to say sucked in, but they kind of got engulfed in the, uh, in the moment. And um, where I think viewing it as an opportunity to play extra games in front of a lot of general managers, especially 
you think about that Pacific Division, uh, LA's GM and every and their staff were off. Uh, you know, after the NHL season, uh, Anaheim, San Jose, um, Edmonton. You know, even after their playoff uh, run ended. I mean, so you had a had an opportunity in, to kind of showcase yourself. Um, and there's not many times in the course of the AHL season where you only have seven teams playing and then that quickly is whittled down. So kind of all eyes are on you. And, um, you, you know, in a, in a season which you only maybe got 40 or so games, I mean, I think the, especially the younger players um, were viewing it mostly as an opportunity to really, you know, uh, showcase themselves and uh, get a little bit of extra exposure because, uh you know, Seattle's coming in next season. Uh, that's 25 jobs or so, um, you know, plus uh, associated American League jobs, um, you know, and then plus with the way the cap is looking, with the way just the financial picture for a lot of teams is looking, it's probably a safe bet that there's, there's going to be a fair amount of turnover this summer. So certainly a, a good way if you're a young player, young prospect, and for that matter, an older player trying to get a contract this summer, uh, to go in there and have a good playoff. And I think once they got going, uh, that started, uh, you know, most of those issues or concerns uh, kind of dissipated. If we can talk about a couple of different uh, uh, players, well, players who are at different uh, stages of their careers, uh, and one for each team, let's start with the runners-up, the Henderson Silver Knights. And, and the guy I want to key in on here is Cody Glass, Cody Glass, certainly one of the top prospects uh, for Vegas, um, number six overall draft choice in, in 2016, um, and had a, uh, he, he, he got up for a couple of games with Vegas, but had a very good season with, uh, uh, with uh, the Henderson Silver Knights. And um, I, I, uh, being a Winnipeg boy, um, you, met, you tweeted that uh, um, Cody Glass hadn't seen his family for 18 months because of of the circumstances and the border and and so on. So I wonder if you can first talk about Cody Glass and and his season, how he played in the playoffs, and then and then his kind of personal circumstance. Yeah, uh, well, for Cody Glass coming in this season, he had been coming off knee surgery. So I mean, that's a that's a, certainly a situation for him at 22 years old. I think it was 21 at the time coming into the season. Um, where these are crucial years, your sixth overall pick. Uh, um, I don't want to say the clock is ticking on you, but you haven't established yourself yet, really, in the NHL. Uh, you're still kind of on that fringe. So, you, you know, you need a big summer, and then Vegas is certainly in a win-now uh, situation. So uh, eventually he found himself uh, sent down to Henderson and um, – the reviews uh, from head coach Manny Viveros uh, and and certainly the teammates and the coaching staff there and, and just everything I saw from him uh, came back pretty good. He had an opportunity to play in all situations, which I think was huge for him. I get a little bit of confidence back because I don't think that confidence level was up for him with the NHL club. I mean, it's just a difficult situation for a young player coming off an injury, you know, trying to find himself, trying to establish himself for that matter. Uh uh, to do so and uh you're you know you're not getting the minutes you need so i don't get the sense he was thrilled to be in the american hockey league it's not where he envisioned himself being at this point but 
I think to his credit, he did handle the situation well and, and did what he had to do and has set himself up now well uh, for next uh, fall's training camp. So uh, I think depending on what happens with Vegas during this postseason, uh, we'll see. I mean, frankly, I'd like to see him get a probably a full season in the, in the AHL and just come in and dominate and, and, and be a top player playing, you know, 25 minutes a night. I don't know if that will actually happen. I think he'll be in the NHL sooner rather than later. But yeah, as far as the not being home uh, because of that uh, knee injury and that situation there, um, he's uh, been staying in Vegas uh, really, you know, going back to that last year when the pandemic started and, um, it's not easy for players. I mean, when I was speaking with Henderson, for example, at their breakup day on Monday, uh, a good number of them uh, are actually staying in Las Vegas this summer, which I was a little surprised. Uh, most of these guys typically would be going home, but um, Cody Glass's case, for example, he said, you know, well, like, you know, you'd come in and it's a two-week quarantine and um, that's two weeks off the ice, two weeks, uh, you know, not being able to work out. Uh, I don't think he wants to waste any time uh so uh, sort of into, especially you know coming back to manitoba where the the case numbers are still really high and there's just a lot of um you know strife right now with that situation uh i think he's gonna hang out in vegas for a while and 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 make use of the facilities there and the resources there so uh it's a little it's just one of those things where um, he's, I don't think he's the only player in that boat. I mean, talking to some different players throughout the year, I mean, 18 months is probably on the higher end of things. But, uh, you know, if you're a player and uh, you didn't get back home before the pandemic started and you had to stay uh, on one side of the border or the other, um, I can see why it would get up to 18 months. And um, I, I don't foresee – you know, and being able to go home anytime soon either. So, uh, so that's kind of where he's at right now. Well, that's fascinating because I think that's an aspect that um, that fans and listeners don't necessarily take into account uh, these these uh, complications uh, for some of these uh, players, especially the prospects. Um, on the Condors side, uh, I want to talk about Adam Cracknell. You mentioned him a few minutes ago uh, at the other end maybe of his career, 35-year-old, and certainly Canadians fans may be a little familiar with him. Um, he came over to Laval that first year, uh, the Rocket were in Laval, um, came over from Hart, uh, from um, the Wolfpack, and, um, and at the time, I think that... Uh, uh, Canadians fans were kind of, gee, there's a bit of a Peter Holland going the other way. There's a bit of a talent disparity, but uh, understood quickly that it was Larry Carrier and and uh, Sylvain Lefebvre who wanted Cracknell for his leadership abilities. And he certainly, um, you know, that's come into play this year uh, with the Condors and as well. He's had uh, quite an impact on the ice. Absolutely. Uh, top, top. Um high quality veteran at this level who can still play uh, 35 years old, but uh, you know, certainly at this level is not uh, skipped a beat. Uh, had a really nice season would have been on pace for about 20 goals this year. Uh, was exceptionally effective in the, in the playoffs led to the AHL scoring. I mean, such as it was for the playoffs, um, but I uh, had a nice, nice bounce back year. You know, last year he played in the KHL. Um, he actually started this season in Denmark, uh, playing a little bit there. So he kind of got a head start in the competition. And um, I think he he gave both his teammates and, frankly, the opposition 
a real sense of what an NHL uh, type player is. I mean, he played what over I think two hundred games in the NHL. Uh, big, big veteran, excellent on faceoffs. Um, you know, so he has that that NHL pedigree to him. So I think uh, both teams remarked just how good he was, and you know, and what you know the opportunity was both to play with and against him. Uh, so uh, he was, I think he was. He was not on a mission, I think, this season to prove that he still had it, and uh, he certainly did. Uh, and um, He provided some really nice supplemental scoring. Him, Seth Griffith, Brad Malone, um, you know, kind of supplementing that that uh, younger core of Marodi and Benson. So, um, yeah, Adam Cracknell has not slowed down one bit. Uh, you know, uh, not only from that season in Laval, but even, you know, if you go 10, 15 years back even um, – that you know he i mean he goes back to omaha <laughs> like wow <laughs> you know that's how far back he goes in the ahl so uh he's he's uh kind of part of that uh lineage uh you know uh, for the calgary flames uh you know uh, long history of different uh ahl homes so uh yeah real good quality veteran uh, still still plays hard every night you know you still you see that enthusiasm. I think that's a great example for the young players. That's uh, here. Here's a guy who was, I think he was ninth round pick, which doesn't even that's exist right. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, you know, willed himself and worked himself into 200 something NHL games and certainly a long career, you know, on the NHL, AHL bubble. So um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good glimpse. I think for those young players, both on Bakersfield and really, frankly against playing against them. Uh, what it takes to not only reach the NHL, but to stay there for a while. And selfishly, uh, on on the media side, he he is a pure pleasure to work with from a yes. media standpoint. He's he was always very gracious with his time, very friendly. Um, just just a really good guy off the ice as well. Absolutely. Uh, we're speaking with Patrick Williams, our friend and colleague, who is the AHL correspondent for the uh, NHL.com and also AHL contributor at EP Ringside. Uh, so, Patrick, uh, now that uh, you know we've we've kind of wrapped up that uh, AHL Pacific Division and the and the season for 2020 2021 has come to an end, we start looking ahead to to next year. Um, and of course, the big burning topic on everyone's tongues as far as the AHL is the shakeup with franchises that just drop like a bomb in the middle of this season, particularly with uh, New Jersey, Binghamton, um, you know, the, the Utica now going to Abbotsford. Um, it was one of the worst kept secrets, I think, uh, once mm-hmm. uh, once New Jersey kind of dropped the ball, uh, dropped the bomb on everyone. Um from your standpoint, first of all, where does that leave? I think the the big question is where does that leave Binghamton for next year? Um, you know, for Utica, it's a it's a return to where they were years ago as the Utica mm-hmm. Devils, uh, but now they'll be the Utica Comets still, just as a Devil affiliation. <laughs> um, so, so where where does that leave Binghamton? Utica has to be excited about this. And Abbotsford getting back in the AHL ring. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, uh, starting with Binghamton, well, it leaves them in the federal league next season, which I don't think Ooh. is where they envision themselves as, as a hockey market. But uh, given the late na- nature of uh, the uh, move, I mean, they didn't have any great options. Uh, the ACHL, I think, is their best bet 
long term. But uh, the move happened so late that uh, the ACHL was already um, well into its planning for next season. So that wasn't uh, possible. Uh, so for right now, I mean, they're just going to, I guess, hang out for a year and try to keep the lights on in Binghamton and keep the hockey momentum going till you, you know, I think if you're a fan there, hopefully can pivot to an ECHL setup. I think they would be a great fit there. I think, especially if you could put say the New York Rangers in there, um, that would go really well. Uh, I know, I understand the concerns that some fans have there about going down a level, but I do think you could offset that with uh, getting a top affiliation there, like the Rangers uh, coming in there and, and set up some good rivalries with Adirondack, Reading, mm-hmm. uh, Worcester, and so on, and uh, try to make it work that way. Um, as far as Abbotsford, I mean, wow. I never thought Abbotsford would come back <laughs> to the American Hockey League. I know that Vancouver has kicked around that idea for years, but, I mean, there's lots of ideas that get kicked around and never really ever materialize. And, um, yeah, you, you started to see the writing on the wall when Utica and Vancouver didn't announce a new agreements, uh, after it expired at the end of, uh, 2020, uh, that, you know, something might be in the works. Uh, but still, I mean, the fact that they're going to Abbotsford, it's a little bit off the beaten path for the rest of the American hockey league. Uh, so that, aspect was a little surprising but from the Vancouver Canucks standpoint I mean it's a great uh setup I mean it's it's what everyone else around the league for the most part has I mean I think they envision something similar to a Laval Montreal setup or you know Marley's Leafs or so on and so forth uh it's about an hour down the road from Vancouver so it's uh, far enough away to kind of be its own little market uh but uh, still starting close enough if you you need a player from Morning State you can bring them up no problem um, and it's a beautiful facility. They, they renovated it actually in the past year or so. It's, it's only about 10 years old, but they, uh, upgraded a few things, uh, new boards, I think new ice system. Um, I was there about 10 years ago when the heat were there and, uh, it was a nice building then. So it's, it's certainly AHL caliber. Um, I think the biggest thing there will be getting a, a good team in there. I mean, Utica's teams for the last number of years, have been okay. They've uh, they certainly not been. I don't think anything uh, to write home about. But if you can get some prospects in there and they mix in uh, some good veterans, uh, I think it should be a pretty popular destination. Um, then I think you have a pretty good formula there. But I think time will tell um, how that whole experiment works. One one other follow up for me regarding changes in franchises for next year. What, do we know why the why Bridgeport needed to become the Islanders? <laughs> why suddenly the Sound Tiger has been uh, shuffled off to extinction? Yeah, the Sound Tiger is no more. Um, uh, I think this is Lamorello. Uh, this is kind of his playbook. If you look at his New Jersey time, um, Low Devils, the uh, Albany Devils, um, you know, you go all the way back to Utica. Now, the, the River Rats were a notable exception to that. I, I guess the blue must have been off that day. That, that got approved. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Lou likes it a certain way. Uh, Lou, uh, as we all know, kind of he runs things uh, his way. Uh, and 
it's going to be interesting because that that's a, that's a unique market in general. Simply because I mean that's hardcore New York Rangers country. You know, southwestern Connecticut. You know, Fairfield County uh, into Bridgeport into New Haven. So um, it's it's an interesting move. I guess I'll put it that way. I mean, I. I I understand that they're trying to expand the New York Islanders footprint into that region because of the new building coming in. Uh, I think that's easier said than done, though, mm-hmm. to try to change a generation of New York Rangers fans. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, um, I know that they uh, they have Brent Rossi coming in. Well, he's actually been there, but uh, he's actually going to be able to really put his stamp on things now. But he came in uh, last season, ran into the pandemic, and then this season certainly was not a fan season. So uh, I know that Bridgeport's planning a big off-season marketing push, which, uh, quite frankly, they need. I, I think Brent Rossi could do a really good job there. He has a good business track record, uh, working with some different entities, I think including the World Wrestling Entertainment. So uh, he, he knows how to generate some buzz. Uh, I think for any of us who have been to that market over the years, mm-hmm. uh, you know that they, they've had a a difficult time generating buzz in that market. Um, you know, there's a lot of nights to go to Bridgeport and it's, it's pretty empty. So um, nowhere to go, but up. Uh, and it's but a I nice rink. Have, it's a beautiful rink. Uh, it's uh, right off the highway there. I mean, it's a lot to like, but it's a tough battle. I mean, I think just you're in Rangers country there and uh, the idea of going to watch New York Islanders prospects can be a tough sell, but I think they're, they're trying to change things up. Um, I guess time will tell. Um, but uh, they've apparently signed a new lease long-term to stay in Bridgeport. That was a question. You know, the, it's been kicking around for a while. Well, would the Rangers, you know, move into Bridgeport and the Islanders would uh, go somewhere on Long Island? Apparently not. Apparently it's going to be status quo. Uh, I don't think you would spend this uh, effort uh, to re- rebrand things only to you know, pull up states in a year or two. So, um, it was, I, I guess we'll see, but yeah, it was a little bit surprising that you, that you have a brand that's 20 years old that uh, has some unique uh, local tie-ins, uh, you know, with the, the history of the, the circus mm-hmm. and the sound and everything else. Uh, they kind of go with a more generic uh, name, but what Lou wants, Lou gets. <laughs> I, I, yes, he does. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that, you know, when you really, you know, boil it down. So uh, a key component of AHL, AHL, NHL hockey are, are the fans. Um, they certainly are the fans. Uh, and and we've been seeing fans return to the buildings. There's certainly um, an, an injection of, of emotion, but uh, also um, they're an in, injection of cash for some financially strapped uh, uh, franchises, particularly in the the AHL, and we've seen some of them go through some uh, tough times and and uh, you know cut staff and and uh, have a very lean sta- staff complement this past season. Um, what what's your um, kind of expectation about the 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 financial side of of the AHL franchises? Um, are we going to see a, a you know full attendance next season are we going to see franchises starting to add back 
uh, uh, staff to you know to market in certain ways. What 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 have you heard is is uh, the way the the AHL is is going to move in order to bring fans back? Well, um, we're I mean we already saw in Henderson, for example. I mean they um, they they had seven thousand plus the other night uh, for the final game. So I think. Um, they're full speed for next season. Uh, Texas is full speed. Uh, it looks like I won't be surprised that pretty much across the board, you know, for at least for the U S teams that it's a hundred percent capacity. I mean, I always kind of looked toward minor league baseball as a guide, uh, with what they're doing on the business side of things. You know, they share a lot of the same markets, the same fan base in some cases, uh, many of the same business challenges, and um, most of them are going 100% capacity. Now, granted, it's an outdoor sport, so that's a little bit different. But uh, I noticed a major swing in optimism from teams in the last four to six weeks uh, that they can really make a go of it for next season at 100%. Uh, and so what that would mean would be this summer, if you ever wanted to work in the American Hockey League for a team, <laughs> this is a year to put your resume in because uh, there is a lot of openings uh, across the across the league, I mean, a lot of these teams really cut down almost to the bare minimum. I mean, mm-hmm. in some cases, one person literally just to kind of keep the lights on and pay the bills. Um, uh, so there are a lot of teams that may need to make some pretty substantial hires in the next uh, two to three months. There, you know, there's a lot of work to do for a lot of these teams. That I mean, a lot of them have started it, but. Um, you have to kind of reintroduce yourself to fans. I mean, uh, for the most part, in most of these markets, uh, you haven't had fans in your building for 14 months. That's a long time to kind of be a part and to it kind of follow the, the consciousness of your fans. Uh, so you have to do that. Um, you certainly need people just to handle all the logistical things, you know, people to, to run the accounting department, people to, you know, do the graphic design, all those things. I mean, I think we all know in the American Hockey League, there's there's uh, generally a pretty lean approach to front offices, and people wear tend to wear a lot of different hats, and um, very few people have just one job or one task. I mean, uh, most people have to. If you even if you're a broadcaster, in some cases, in the summer you're selling you know, corporate ads or, or, or season tickets or what have you. So um, this is a uh, this is a busy year. Now, I think that the biggest challenge, uh, and nobody seems to have an answer for this, is, is what happens with the border, what happens with mm-hmm. the Canadian clubs. I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic now, having seen, you know, the Habs, for example, have 2,500 fans in the building. Even the Leafs have 550, granted, healthcare workers, but, you know, still, it's movement. Uh, you take what you can get. Apparently, the Winnipeg Jets, according to the Winnipeg Free Press, have a plan to kind of do something similar to the uh, what the Leafs did, and at least uh, dip a toe in the water with 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 fans. So, um, the bottom line is, I mean, if it's at all possible from a health standpoint, I mean, these teams desperately need to have uh, full capacity next season because, um, for the most part, they've gone an entire season plus without any sort of meaning meaningful revenue. Um, and you know, you can only get so much help from your NHL club. You can only, um, rely on, you know, some, you know, make good deals or what have you to get you through this season. But, uh, next season, I think it's, everybody needs a big year financially and that that starts with having fans. So, I mean, I think that's where just teams are really 
crossing their fingers and hoping that the pandemic numbers uh, continue continue to come down. Certainly in the U.S. I mean, if you're following those numbers, it went from like you know 275 uh, in January now to like somewhere around 20,000 a day. So that's obviously a big drop, and you know you're 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 hopeful that the same thing will apply for the Canadian uh, numbers as well. Uh, but until it happens, I think there's still that little bit of trepidation. We've talked about uh, some of the players. We've talked about the fans. The other big component are the coaches. Um, and I guess first, let's uh, just want to get your thoughts on uh, this year's AHL Coach of the Year uh, winner, Spencer Carberry, the bench boss for the Hershey Bears, uh, who topped out the league uh, in terms of winning percentage this year. Uh, your thoughts on Spencer Carberry and, and, and his his performance as a coach and, and what he was able to do uh, this year and kind of piggybacking then on that, um, you know, your thoughts on some of the coaching vacancies that are already in place around the league. Yeah. So starting with Carberry, I mean, he's, you know, you look at what he's been able to do here. He's been there three seasons, although there's only really been half of the past two seasons. Um, And then you look at that first season where they were in last place at, at the all-star break or so, I think it was right around January 20th of that first season. Mm-hmm. They were in last place. They went on a 789 uh, tear the rest of the way, uh, blew past a number of teams, got in the playoffs, ended up going to the second round only uh, to uh, get knocked out by the Charlotte. And that season, pretty much nobody was beating Charlotte anyway. So, uh, and then last season they were, they were contending for first place in the Eastern conference and then this season, they, they won the entire uh, regular season title, such as it was. Uh, so it's been kind of, really, for the last, uh, other than that first half of his first season, nothing but winning. I mean, playing 700-plus hockey the whole way. Uh, so uh, he's a bright young coach, but he, he has enough that that old-school edge, I think, that, um, you know, I think it mixes really well. I mean, he's, he's certainly not a pushover as a coach, uh, he, he wants things done a certain way. He's very good at explaining what he wants and, and what he does. Uh, very much of an open door policy, which I, you know, certainly the, the, the trend these days for coaches, I won't be surprised in a couple of years, uh, to see him get an NHL opportunity somewhere, either as a head or an assistant, but, um, the Capitals certainly see uh, a lot of promise in they, they wrapped him up in a multi-year deal. Uh, so they're going to try to keep him around as long as they can. Uh, but uh, that, that that window might be shorter than they'd like uh, because he's, I think, raised or opened a lot of eyes with what he's done just in the past couple of years. They're both blending winning and development. And Hershey's a tough market for coach, I mean, because it's, it's the closest thing you get to high pressure in this league uh, to win. Uh, and yet you still have to kind of answer for, you know, player development to the Washington Capitals. So, you know, he's always trying to walk that line uh, and has done an ex- excellent job so far. You know, as far as uh, o- openings around the league, well, I mean, I think the most notable one is uh, Scott Gordon in Lehigh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which I think took everybody a little bit by surprise. For sure. Perhaps yeah. even Scott himself. Um, you know, just based on everything that seemed to come out of that situation that uh, – um, he had another year in his contract, but uh, they apparently, at least according to the reports, and, and certainly from what I've heard um, and been told, that uh, they decided to kind of part ways early. Um, it's a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he did a really good job there. Um, 
He got passed over, obviously, for the permanent head coaching job in, in Philly. Uh, went back to Lehigh, which, let's be honest, I think that was a tough, tough blow for him and certainly, uh, you know, disappointment. I, mean, I think it's only human that he would be disappointed. Um, but he came back. He still did a good job and uh, did what he was supposed to do. So um, I think it's a classic case of uh, he's not their guy. Uh, he was hired by a previous regime, and mm-hmm. that seems to be what, in the end, for a lot of coaches, uh, kind of spells the end uh, for them in a, in a given job. Uh, so um, he'll, he's on the market now. I just I don't know where, where he goes next. You know, do, do you want to take another American League job? I guess. Um, but if not, um, he's already kind of been down that NHL assistant uh, path. Those jobs aren't easy to find to start with. Uh, so he's in kind of a kind of a tricky spot right now that uh, I don't really know where he goes next. So for from your standpoint, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's like pop quiz time. From your standpoint, it's the very beginning of the AHL offseason. What do you see as the top one or two priorities on uh, Housen's to-do list for the league for this summer? What are, what are the one or two biggest priorities that the AHL has to address right away in the offseason, do you think? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think, and this is interesting because Housen's not really even had a chance He's been in the job for almost a year, but really hasn't a chance actually doing do the thing. job. Yeah, like it's just going to be kind of like you know trying to manage the fire. I guess is probably the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess the first thing is to have an exit plan for this pandemic. Uh, how do you get teams back? You know, as much as possible. You know, assuming capacity does go to what they hope it will. How, how do you get fans back in the building? Uh, you know, I mean, we've seen, obviously, you know, there's a lot of economic um, upheaval, financial upheaval for a lot of people coming out of this. Uh, and, and a good portion of your fan base probably would fall into that group. Um, how much money is there, you know, for, for hockey tickets? And if, if you, you know, if you've been through this and, you know, you've taken a hit financially for the past year, you know, maybe there's you know, you have to make cuts somewhere if you're if you're a family of four, for example. Uh, how do you get that that group back into the building? How, I think the bigger part of that too is how do you get the next generation of fans? I mean, you know, if if you know if the AHL was a team or if its fan base was a team, you would say it's um, a team that doesn't have a lot of youth coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just noticed that a lot of, in a lot of buildings that uh, you don't get a lot of. The, um, younger fans, uh, you know, and I don't quite know why, but I think that's the AHL's job, Scott Helson's job to figure out why, because like any anything else, you need to kind of replenish your fan base uh, and, and build uh, the next generation of fans coming up. Uh, and uh, so that would be kind of like the 1A and 1B of the first part of the job. I think the second part of the job is uh, kind of franchise-related, uh, where, A, you want to figure out once and for all what's going on in Palm Springs. Now, they're supposed to break ground this week. I'll believe it, actually, when they put shovels in the ground. And yeah. Not just not just put a shovel in the ground for a ceremony, but, like, actually start moving earth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the distinction I'm making because uh, they obviously had the plan last season in downtown Palm Springs that fell through. They were supposed to break ground 
February 18th of 2020. Well, that never happened. So here we are in, in June of 2021. Obviously, there's a lot in between that time. But um, if they're trying to open up in the 22-23 season, that only leaves 16 to 17 months, give or take, um, to get that building constructed up and uh, ready to go. So um, that's a big big part of that. And I think uh, the corollary to that is finding, making sure that you have all of your 31 existing franchises in, in very good working order mm-hmm. uh, and, and getting on top of problems early. If you see a team struggling this summer, you know, with ticket sales or corporate sales or what have you, or even into the season, you got to get on that, that right now. I mean, I think Dave Andrews did a fantastic job for 26 years of solidifying the hockey end of things, getting affiliations in place, uh, certainly solidifying the AHLs, the premier development league, um, making it very development friendly. Scott Halson's job, both for this year and beyond, is to now expand the business side of things and get the league on uh, even better financial footing uh, than it was. I mean, because I can tell you with Dave Andrews, the hockey side of his job, I mean, that took up everything. Um, there is, frankly, not a lot of time left in the day for him to even start to tackle some of the business issues. Because, I mean, what he inherited in 1994 and what he left in 2020 when he le- uh, departed the job is night and day. I mean, I, and I, I really think I've said this before. Without him, I'm not sure the American Hockey League exists as it is today. I think there's a very good chance it could have been something very different or maybe even gotten um, overtaken by the IHL back in the 90s or 2000s. So, uh Andrews took care of the the hockey side. Halson's job now is to take care of the business side. We really appreciate your time, Patrick. And and I'll ask a long question so you can catch your breath here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I'm going to take us in a in a completely different direction, uh, Patrick. You and I have um, we each have a, a connection to Winnipeg and. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting on my desk is a brass keychain, and it's uh, in the shape of a ticket. There's a an old Jets logo on it. There's a Los Angeles Kings uh, logo on it, and it was to commemorate the final game uh, for Jets 1.0 uh, Friday, April twenty uh, Friday, April twelfth, nineteen ninety six, and that's wow. when. Uh, the Jets were, uh, from Jets uh, fans' perspective, their team was snatched and and grabbed and and yanked away and and hauled off to Arizona. And there's the the dark cloud of Barry Shankro and and the the, mm-hmm. the save the Jets rallies at Portage and Maine and 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 all of that. And many in Winnipeg thought that that the Jets um, were never coming back again. But the sun rose and. And uh, the the Jets 2.0 just celebrated their 10 year anniversary, uh, returning to 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 Winnipeg, and it just happens to coincide with your 10 year anniversary, uh, writing for NHL.com. So, uh, can you talk about those your own personal um, uh, evolution and your memories of that time, and and uh, where it's brought to you brought you as as a, a journalist today? Ooh, uh, it's a lot to, again, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> First, I'll say about uh, 1996, 
Jets fans have extremely long memories. <laughs> or very, yes. Uh, even to this day, uh, 10 years having Jets 2.0 has not diminished some of the angst uh, that Jets fans experienced back in 1996. I mean, Correct. Yeah. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that that was a civic trauma. Uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, jolted the city, I think, to its core. I mean, and it played into a lot of things. Uh, you know, the city at the time was going through a lot of financial stress, a lot of upheaval, people leaving. Uh, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of your traditional city down in its luck story uh, where that just compounded and kind of drove home all those other problems. Uh, it took the city a long time to dig out from that. Uh, certainly MTS center being built in 2004 was a massive step toward that. And I'll say for, for, for Winnipeg, what Winnipeg hockey fans did right was they came and they supported the Manitoba moose right. early and often, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from the IHL days into the AHL era they even had to cheer for the, the prospects of the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, it was one of the most bitter rivals. I mean, I mean, actually all the Smythe teams were pretty bitter, but <laughs> that, that, uh, that was a tough, that was a tough pill to swallow for a lot of Winnipeg fans. Uh, not only are we not in the NHL, now we're cheering for the prospects of one of our most heated rivals. You know, certainly, especially in the nineties, uh, Vancouver, Winnipeg got pretty nasty and, uh, and yet they still came. They supported that team. Uh, they, they really kind of built a mini NHL franchise there and laid the groundwork. And that was difficult groundwork to lay because the NHL, I don't think, had the inclination to go back to Winnipeg. I mean, that's certainly not where things were trending. Uh, and it was a long haul. It was 15 years, really. Mark Chipman and his group. Uh, and then, But I think more importantly, the fan base. The fan base had to buy into that because – Look at Hartford, for example. Hartford left a year after the Jets left, uh, the Whalers. They lost the Whalers. And they've never gotten back on track. Um, they, they, at times, supported the Wolf Pack a little bit, but not nearly to the same extent. And, uh, they've never been able to kind of generate any momentum for any sort of possible NHL return. So I think full credit to Winnipeg hockey fans that uh, they didn't like it, but uh, they kind of – gritted their teeth and, and, and dealt with it and, and went and supported the hockey and put some money into the coffers and help that ownership group. And then you look at that day, and I still remember that day vividly, uh, up until literally 8.30 that morning, not being 100% sure that it was a real thing that was actually going to happen, that we weren't all going to end up downtown at MTS Center and kind of just staring at each other, you know, <laughs> waiting for Gary Bettman to arrive, and he never did, but uh, he, he did arrive. Um, and that really started to kickstart a, a wild summer. Um, I remember that Friday night at their first draft, they announced the name. Uh, they hired Cla- uh, Claude Noel um, as head coach. Uh, who actually had been with the Moose that season prior, uh, and they drafted Mark Shifley in the first round, uh, mm-hmm. seventh overall. And you know, you just think back. I mean, that's a lot to pack into one night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a new name, uh, a new head coach, and, and uh, your first ever uh, first round pick, and uh, a player that to this day is still a huge part of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, so that was the first step. Uh, the next thing I remember really vividly was that kind of the welcome to the NHL moment was opening day 
um, you have the Montreal Canadiens show up. Uh, <laughs> and that was that was the thing that drove it home. You're like, wow, okay, you're really in the NHL now as a city. You have the Montreal Canadiens. They show up in your building. <laughs> you know that you've made it, right? Yeah. And that later that season was an overtime win against the Boston Bruins, who at the time were the defending uh, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, they were just they, – I think they came to town like on a 15-game unbeaten streak. And the Jets, you know, who were not that great that first season or seasons after for that matter, uh, they managed to pull out a win that night. And uh, that, that was a huge night, I think, for Jets fans. Uh, okay, you know, like the Boston Brewers are a town. Boston actually has a pretty good fan base uh, in Winnipeg, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all things considered. Uh, and, you know, here come this Jets team that, you know, didn't have a lot of success early on, but uh, they, they managed to pull that win out. And um, and then just kind of they never looked back from that point on. Uh, that, that phenomenon of just the loudest building, uh rabid fan base. I mean, these are, these were people out on a Monday night because that first couple, those first couple seasons, they were in that Southeast division. So you had a lot of uh, Florida and Carolina show, showing up on the schedule, certainly not natural rivalries. And it could be a Monday night against Florida, for example, when it's minus 20, 25 out <laughs> that building, you know, Five thirty for a seven o'clock face-off. I mean, the fans are lined up and uh, ready to go. And um, it's the only place I've ever seen before since that you you can have a five-hour radio <laughs> pregame show for you know <laughs> games you know fifty-two on the on the schedule uh, for a team that wasn't going to make the playoffs. And uh, obviously, some of that fervor has died down a little bit, but not a whole lot. Uh, and uh, it's a fan base that's kind of gone through the ups and downs of building a team, uh, having a lot of setbacks early on. Uh, they didn't have really any farm system to speak of. Uh, so that was a long, long path to build that. And then they've had their moments where, you know, 2018, they went to the uh, Western Conference Final against Vegas. I think that stung Winnipeg a little bit because uh, at the time, here you have a first-year expansion team <laughs> coming in, yeah. and you're kind of stealing your thunder. You're, you're Winnipeg fans, and you're long-suffering, and you've never had a lot of uh, success in this team. This you know, kind of new kid on the block comes in and uh, steals your candy, so to speak. And uh, but uh, they've gotten through it, uh, and the city I think is in a much better place overall. Um, I think in some ways that that 1996 departure woke the city up a little bit and the city realized that it had to kind of uh, get, get its own affairs in order and kind of uh, work on some things. And uh, it, it took a long time, but you know, you look now it's 25 years since that team left um, and the city you know, for the most part is in a better place. I mean, the pandemic obviously has uh, been a setback, but um, you know, you're, you have more people staying in, in the city, um, both hockey players and just, you know, your your everyday population. And that, that's a big thing for Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg, you know, is it's a city that kind of gets picked on a lot, you know, and uh, it takes a lot of heat from a lot of people. But I would say anybody, you know, like, I love Winnipeg. I mean, I think it's just an, it's an excellent place to live. I mean, it's got a great quality of life. Uh, there's a ton to like about it. And certainly if you're a hockey player or a hockey fan or a hockey reporter, 
I don't think there's any better place to be than Winnipeg. That's uh, I agree a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, certainly for hockey fans, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable hockey town and for fans of, of other teams uh uh, and particularly those fans, and once things open up, uh, who like to go from building to building, you've got to experience uh, a hockey game at the uh, at the Bell MTS Center. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. If you're a fan and you, you you have an opportunity, I say take it. I mean, you know, especially you know, you got there in a, in a winter in the winter, and you kind of experience a real Winnipeg experience and you know you know like it's it's kind of a thing i think it's it's bragging rights right like you know it's a thing you can check off your list and, that's right um i just i just find it's just a great place people are amazing there um you make friends for life there uh and it's you know it's just a fun place to be it's got its own kind of vibe um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's a city that, that gets picked on a lot, but I think, you know, a lot of people don't really understand that it's a hidden gem and, uh, you know, it's honestly, I think one of the NHL's best little secrets. Well, we have to tip our hats and say congratulations to you on it, on it marking a bit of an anniversary for you as well. And, and your years of coverage of that team. And, and of course, um, as our listeners know, we, we, mention your name uh, whether you're on the show like this or not your name uh, comes up quite often on on this show uh for your wealth of knowledge uh regarding the ahl now that now that that has become the center of your um media focus um so congratulations to you and and your work and uh we can't thank you enough for for joining us today to kind of put a put a nice uh, punctuation mark on the end of what has been a truly odd season and uh, a bit of a preview of of hopefully a more normal uh, season for all of us to come well thank you 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 both you know i mean i love listening to this show uh you do phenomenal work but both with the podcasts and just your day-to-day coverage uh, of all things laval all things lehigh valley all things hockey in general uh and uh, you know you're both of you are a tremendous asset, I think, uh, to the hockey world, I think to the American Hockey League uh, in particular. We appreciate that. It's That is very kind. Um, and we appreciate that very much. Um, and we appreciate working with you. We, we, we'll have you back on the show. There will be plenty of updates coming this summer. So uh, it'll, it won't be too long before, before you're visiting us again here on the press zone so thanks again patrick patrick Patrick. williams uh the ahl correspondent at nhl.com and for ep ringside patrick remind folks again where they can find you on twitter the best place to find me on twitter is uh p williams ahl uh so kind of self-explanatory and twitter (laughs) handle uh (laughs) short and to the point excellent that's at p williams ahl give him a follow on twitter and uh, we'll have you back again real soon Great. Thank you, guys. Thanks. I have to say, every time we have Patrick on the show, um, I think the three of us, A, could just talk for hours and hours and hours, um, and B, it's just he's such a wealth of information. Uh, it just has uh, great stories to tell, but also great insight and great connections around the league to bring us all of the latest for things happening all over the league. And, and Rick, I think that was a, a fascinating interview. Tremendous. And we covered a lot of ground. And uh, yeah, we, we have uh, this connection with Patrick that we can we can talk for hours. And so it's uh, 
uh, it's it was a wonderful conversation. Be sure, uh, absolutely, and and do be sure to follow him on Twitter at p williams ahl. Uh, he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge and wealth of information. Uh, you don't want to miss anything that he has to put out there. Um, so thank you to Patrick for for joining us. Thank you for joining us uh, for another great episode of the Press Zone. Uh, it was a really fun episode today, um, and. Even though the AHL season is officially over, believe me, uh, there is no offseason here at the Press Zone and at the AHL Report. We will be on the job all summer long. Um, The Press Zone in particular has uh, a lot of content in store all summer. This is where we get to really uh, get into the time of having some really fun exclusive interviews and guests uh, on the show. Uh, we've already got some of them starting to get lined up in the upcoming weeks, uh, so I'm not going to quite reveal yet who those people are going to be, but trust me, you're not going to want to miss uh, some of these interviews that we have coming with um Insiders around the league, former players, uh, alumni, uh, management, you name it. Uh, there's there's a lot of great stuff coming and you don't want to miss a minute of it. So be sure wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, be sure just take a look down. Look, look at your phone. Look at the computer. Are you subscribed? If you're not, just take a second right now and hit the button. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't ever miss an episode. And uh, Rick, I think... Uh, We're going to enjoy some second round playoff hockey action, which is already underway. And uh, it'll be another great show next week. It'll be tremendous for sure. Absolutely. So enjoy uh, the official, I guess, start of summer, really, now that June is here. Uh, Stay safe. Enjoy the beautiful weather. Enjoy playoff hockey. And we'll see you right back here next week for another great episode of The Press Zone. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of The Press Zone on Rocket Sports Radio. Visit AHLReport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.